Welcome everybody to episode 9, 9 Craig of the movies of 1999, mm. a podcast where we talk about a movie from 1999 each week as selected by Bingo Machine. My name is Jason Hutchins. I'm Craig Talbot. And in this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the movies we watched last week, Twin Falls, Idaho, which was paired with Pushing Tin. And wait around at the end of this podcast for when we'll be crossing live to this week's movie night, where we'll be finding out what we'll be talking about next week. Now, Pushing Tin, how is that related to Twin Falls, Idaho, Craig? Do you have any theories? The only theory I have is they're both, I think, filmed and shot around New York. That's true. There is a New York connection, although Twin Falls, Idaho is not meant to be in any identifiable city, is it? It's no, just like a generic no. American city. Um, yeah. but, but as you mentioned to me before the podcast, very recognisably New York. Yeah, I'm not really sure how these are linked, although there is a certain twin and tin. Maybe that's what it is. It's almost like a little rhyming couplet. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting on to the phonics now of the, uh, the, the phonics. Okay. Well, there has to be one, doesn't there? But I should mention briefly why I chose Twin Falls, Idaho. It, it very much is an sure. art house movie, this one. But I was well aware of this movie back in 1999. I I think most people hadn't heard of it, but I must have seen the review or a trailer or something like that because the memory of this movie stuck with me over the years. And that's why I knew that it had to be on the list. Even before researching too deeply, it was, you know, one of the first movies on the list, I think. Oh, okay, That's interesting. Let me dive into a brief synopsis from ChatGPT. Twin Falls, Idaho is a poignant and atmospheric drama that explores the unique bond between conjoined twins, Blake and Frances Falls, who share a single body. Set against the backdrop of their birthday in a seedy hotel room, the story unfolds as they encounter a kind-hearted prostitute named Penny. She becomes entangled in their isolated world. Directed by Michael Polish and starring Mark and Michael Polish, the film delves into themes of love, independence and the human desire for connection, presenting a tender and visually arresting narrative that challenges the viewer's perception of normalcy and intimacy. Through its slow-paced storytelling and striking cinematography, Twin Falls, Idaho offers a deeply humanistic and melancholic look at the twins' struggle for a semblance of a normal life, culminating in a bittersweet resolution that underscores the inextricable link between the brothers. So, Craig, what did you think of Twin Falls, Idaho? I think Dana said it best. It was very weird. But <laughs> look, in the end, I actually enjoyed it. I'm surprised to hear that it was one that you had on your list early on because mm. it's not a movie I've ever heard of No. Um, before Sunday. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Look, in the end, I did enjoy it. It's a little bit, little bit like Citizen Kane or one of those movies, which like a week later, they still stick in your head a bit. Mm. Yet the images from the movie stick in your head and they stick around. I remember Citizen Kane being like that. And this movie is a little bit like that too. It's got a very distinctive style, a very distinctive pace. It's very uh, slow, think, uh, isn't it? Very slow. It's very slow. And, and as one of our friends said, he wondered whether it would uh, survive in the 2023 era where, you know, we all kind of have a little bit of ADHD and we're, mm. we're constantly mm. moving on to the new thing. I don't know. It's the slowest pace movie that we've watched. <laughs> well, there is the straight story, <laughs> isn't there? This straight story is still a better movie mm. just because the pacing made more sense in that movie. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this one was just slow. 
uh, there were times when I was completely bored, mm. you know, with the pacing. But again, I think that's a 2023, and oh, sorry, 2024 viewpoint. I think it is also a fault of this movie because they were sort of leaning into the mystery a bit yeah. too hard. And there wasn't much that was mysterious about this film at all. You know, they had the two brothers constantly whispering to each other and as if something yes. secretive was going on. And that's something that a lot of reviewers mentioned. People walk away remembering the two whispering to each other, mm. you know, in each other's ears, which I guess you would do if you were conjoined twins. Right, um, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting idea. It was written by Mark and Michael Polish, who are identical twins. Mark Polish being Blake in the movie and Francis is Michael Polish who also directed the movie. Mm. Really the only other character of any note in the movie in terms of screen time is um, Michelle Hicks. This was her first movie. She was a fashion model. Mm. She plays the character of Penny, a kind of prostitute. She sort of takes pity on these guys and looks after them a bit when they're ill and Francis spends most of the movie quite ill and then the, the movie is driven by how ill he is and eventually he dies so that the two have to to be separated. Um, as you know, Jason, I'm a teacher, and uh, one of the things that amazes me to this day is the obsession that small boys have with the Guinness Book of Records. Right, yes. Every time they we go it. into a library, mm. the eight, nine, ten-year-olds, etc., immediately rush for the Guinness Book of, mm. World, mm. of World Records. I, I don't think that book would exist without that age group, <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest with you. So Mark and Michael Polish became fascinated by conjoined twins when they saw it in the Guinness Book of mm. World Records. Mm. They found a photo of the famous Siamese twins, Chang and Eng Bunker, who actually lived there living as circus attractions. And there's a reference to that, I think, later in the movie. There is, yeah. With the four brothers. The Polish brothers were actually pretty obsessed. They actually continued their obsession and they clipped newspaper articles and they collected medical data about conjoined births. You know, it was a thing that was more common. I, I can remember it being on the news when I was younger. I haven't heard anything about it recently, mm. but mm. I think medical science now is at the point where it's a much easier thing to do than it was. Certainly in the 70s, a pair of conjoined twins like this wouldn't have survived being separated. Mm. Yes. There's a suggestion that this is based around the 70s. Are you saying there's a suggestion that this movie is set in the 70s. They wanted yeah. to give the film a bit of a timeless quality. There's a I, very strong feeling of the 70s. Mm. Um, the colours of the apartment, the colours of their clothes, right. all of those things are very 70s. Yeah, the vehicles so and stuff. The, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, you know, that brown suit. Mm. Uh, my dad had one of those in the 70s. Mm. I've got photos of him wearing mm. it. So, you know, um, not that I'm saying my dad was a fashionable <laughs> man in the 1970s. In 1972, the year that Blake and Francis were born, so not too far from you and I. Medical science did not have the equipment or know-how how to separate twins like this. So conjoined children like this were still hidden away or not treated very well. And that theme comes through fairly strongly in the movie yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, sometimes a bit too strongly. Michael Mark and Michael Polish, when asked about the film and why they wrote the film, apparently they spent four years writing this mm, film. Mm. So it was a real passion project yeah. of theirs. So the, the idea of Chang and Eng Bunker was the, was the inspiration. Mm. They suggested that for Blake and Francis's mother, time stood still when her sons were born for the mother. So the mother is a really unusual character she in this is, movie. She, she sort of like really struggles with the idea of the two being conjoined. And so she sort of hides away from her. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, boys, the boys are uh, adopted out. Yeah, and she first appears to them as a nun, but that's because it's Halloween and she's dressed up. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah. clever. How but there was a, you know, get thee to the nunnery sort of feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there in yeah that, quite that deliberate, section. I think, yeah. 
Uh, Michael Polish said that one of the reasons the two of them wrote this movie was that in some ways twins remain stuck and it, it's possible for them to become too close. Often twins can go down this slightly destructive road of constantly living each other's lives rather yeah. than living their own lives. Yeah, yeah. There's a pair of identical twins here in Perth, a female pair. Oh, yes, who, yes. You know, who are quite well known and they basically live each other's lives. I think they share the same boyfriend or something like that. That's right, um, yeah. It, for them, it was this this whole exploration of the relationship. Obviously, they must have spent quite a lot of time together as kids. But this is probably both of their pinnacle, isn't it? Like, this is what they're most well known for. Yeah, they've both definitely done things. Mark often acts in Michael's movies. I don't think any of them are massive. It's it's hard to say if this is a peak or not, only, only because it didn't earn a great deal of money. It only did about a million dollars at the box office on a budget of about half a million. So it's probably one of the lowest budgets of any movie that we've uh, watched so far. It's very cleverly done because it's mostly in one hotel room. There's a few scenes. Yeah, it's um, almost like a play, isn't it? Yeah. And and that hotel yeah, room is yeah. so grimy. It has got to be one of the, yeah. the dirtier sets. There's a particular style of movie where they really go all out on, on making a set look absolutely disgusting, like the bathroom yeah. and, and just the walls are so mm. dirty. But then at one point, the cleaner walks in on them. I'm like, how can there be a cleaner in a place like this? Um, I mean, it hasn't been cleaned for 100 <laughs> years. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. So Patrick Bashau, I think is how you pronounce his name, the doctor in this movie. Yeah. He's a fairly well-known actor. He actually arranged for the filmmakers to use the medical set, I'm assuming in the hospital scenes. Right, right, yeah. um, Of his television series, The Pretender. So that obviously saved them a bit of money, not having to create a whole new set. It was surprising when the greatest American hero popped up. Uh, Dana did a good job of identifying him. Uh, So he was the surgeon, wasn't he? That's right. This doctor that you mentioned, Patrick Bashow or whatever, he was kind of an unnecessary character. He was almost like Mr. Exposition, wasn't he? Yeah, he's kind of explaining everything to the audience. Yeah, yeah. So so that that was a little bit heavy-handed. You you almost could have lost him, but I guess if he lets you use the set for the TV show, then he's got to be given a role. Um, Well, they obviously felt that they needed that so yeah yeah yeah. also john grease i think is his name from napoleon dynamite and the white lotus he popped up as the hollywood producer who was trying to rope them into the entertainment industry yeah he was like a he was like a lawyer i got the suggestion that he was also a bit of a um pimp is that right yeah kind of had that feeling didn't he yeah very strong suggestion that that was him there was a brief section with Garrett Morris, who uh, played Jesus. Yeah, or that Jesus, was really good as well. <laughs> That was a little bit of comic relief in there, yeah. in what was a fairly serious scene. There wasn't a lot of comedy in this. I mean, no. no, but it was interesting because even though, like you said, it was those three characters, a lot of the minor characters did add quite a lot to the movie. Yes. So, yeah. Um, I was interested to read Roger Ebert's review of this movie. Mm. So he said it was one of those films not much interested in plot, but it is fascinated in what it it is like to be somebody or in this case two somebodies it doesn't depend on special effects to create a shared body instead it uses the performances and he he gave it four out of four actually isn't that his highest that's his maximum um, we can imagine the brother's lifetime of isolation from the no- things that normal people do and concluded in its quiet dark claustrophobic way this is one of the best films of the year so he rated it very it's amazing and, and for a big year yeah. of movies as well yeah yeah I would completely agree with his characterization of it being quiet dark and claustrophobic it's 
certainly is that. And and also you not know, really having a, a narrative. It's more just about not. their experience of being who they are. Yes. And Janet Maslin from the New York Times, she's uh, saying it dwells hauntingly on the loneliness as it does on never actually being able to be alone. So yeah, that's yeah. that's sort of what you were saying about twins earlier. It's talking about the bond that they share and how you know mm. you're inseparable, but at, yeah. but at the same time maybe lonely as well. Yeah, and I th- I think Blake does actually talk about that in the movie about mm. there's like a few minutes of every day when he's kind of alone. Mm. And I think he's sort of foreshadowing the fact that Francis is going to die and he's, you know, very worried about that. Isn't that what the greatest American hero says, that that maybe the reason why they came to this hotel room is not to celebrate their birthday, but more to prepare that Francis is going to die soon? Yes, yeah. I think so. There's a suge- long, strong suggestion of that throughout mm. the movie. I'm going to have to watch this greatest American hero now. I was kind of busy with children and houses and whatnot at this time. Oh, no, the greatest so, American yes. hero would have been like late 70s, early 80s, that sort of ballpark. Oh, okay. A fumbling version of Superman, you know, who gets oh, right. special okay. powers from yeah. Aliens or something, and Dana loved that series. Yeah, interesting, interesting one. So, well, clearly. So what? Yeah. What did you think of the terrible pun of the the title of this movie? Their surname is Falls. The twins. Yes. And they went to a yes. they went to a hotel in an anonymous American city that happened to be on Idaho Street. So they called it Twin mm. Falls, Idaho, which has nothing to do with the place Twin Falls, Idaho. So so why did no. they choose this title? It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's named after a place, but is none of <laughs> It has nothing at all to do with it. <laughs> nothing to do with Twin Falls, Idaho. It's a really weird movie for that poor town to mm. be associated with. I wonder if there's people who visit the town expecting to see conjoined twins yeah, or something. A, sta- a statue <laughs> um, you know. of conjoined twins or something like that. Yeah, Such um, an odd yeah, title. Yeah, it, it was a strange choice of title. Mm. I mean, obviously it was a play on words and they thought it was clever. So, And mm. I think they were really sort of hyping up how weird and different this movie was because even in the trailer that we played in last week's show, the whole trailer is just, even if you watch a lot of movies, you've never seen a movie like this. I did wonder if they were calling out to Twin Peaks a little bit. For sure, like, for sure. You know, it's got that feel to it. If Michael Polish wasn't inspired by David Lynch, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, spe- um, especially the sequence yeah. where um, Penny t- goes up the lift and there's this very elderly, you know how you have your little guy that's in the yeah. lift that pushes the buttons for you. He yes. could have been yeah, a Twin Peaks right. character. You know, they have this mysterious interaction. They do all these flashing lights that's a very Lynchian thin yes. thing as well. Like the lights yeah. are constantly yeah. flashing on and off. Yeah, I really get the impression that he was just aping David Lynch without maybe fully understanding why David Lynch films things a particular way. Yeah. What's the? Um, you're a, you're the Twin Peaks fan of the two of us. What's the timeline for Twin Peaks? Was that before or at the same time as? This oh movie? no, this was uh, Twin Peaks was way before. So that was early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely got a feel of Twin Peaks about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you think the twi- um, the twin in the title is calling out to Twin Peaks in particular? I, I reckon. I, I mm. reckon they probably deliberately put that twin word in there because people are going to look at, oh, I wonder if this is a bit like Twin Peaks. We also have to talk about the incredible coincidence that we've had four twin movies in a row. <laughs> yes. How about that? Yes, we have. Because in the previous podcast, we were saying we've had three in a row and then we went and drew yeah. Twin Falls Idaho. Yeah, we've had another one. Like, how does that yeah, even it, work? That is an interesting one. Interesting, the the funny little twin thing. I wonder if there'll be some twins in the next, <laughs> the next movie. I'll, I'll be looking very closely <laughs> for twins, yes. <laughs> yeah. It'll be where, where maybe we'll be uh, looking back on this going, this is the month of the twin. 
tween. <laughs> February, the month of the tween. It seems yeah. that way, doesn't uh, it? Yes. Maybe we have to have a best tweens award at the end of the year or something like that. I think these guys would probably take it for best portrayal of twins so far. It, it was a. It would like all the performances in this movie. I I think that's really what saves this movie. I mean, this movie could have been quite cheesy because it is so yes. weird and different. But the performances do save mm. it. Like all the performances are good. Uh, this is another movie which, again, I did enjoy it. But it's another movie where I really feel if they'd chopped half half an hour to forty five minutes out of it, it would have been a much better movie. I say this not as an a, a, an editing expert, but just from my from from my mind, it, you could have chopped a bit out and it it wouldn't have lost anything. When the two of them are sitting in the park and there's all these people standing around looking at them through the bars, I think you mentioned the metaphor of the zoo. Yeah, it's like very obviously they're an exhibit in the zoo. Yeah. Yeah. I genuinely felt some empathy for those poor guys. Well, yeah, they were trying to put you in yeah. into their shoes, and I think that was done very effectively mm. in that scene in particular, yeah. I liked the scene where they're pulling back from the door and the two of them are staring through the door yeah. as she walks away. Yeah, very long uh, and drawn sort of out. Stuff. I was going to say, when they played the guitar together, I, I found that quite nice as well. They're, yeah, apparently the pair of them are actually quite good. Uh, musicians because they're credited with quite a few of the songs on the movie okay um yeah so i thought the cinematographer a, a gentleman called m david mullen he did a pretty good job i had i did go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with the cinematographer and the composer okay to try and find out what else they did so the composer was a guy called Stuart mathamian who was actually pretty busy that year and m david mullen has done quite a few movies as well been a pretty busy guy but um mm. nothing really of note hang on this cinematographer has done a lot the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Westworld, Extant, Madman. Yeah, he's done a lot of TV series. He's done a lot of TV. Yeah. Composer, the composer's done a lot of uh, music videos for Sade. I thought that was interesting. The Good Wife. Quite like Sade. In, yeah. So Big they've both been pretty busy. That's yeah. a really good resume. Nothing massive, though. No, no massive. Well. I did have a look at um, Michelle Hicks to see if she had done any movies subsequent to this one. And this is probably her best movie in terms of Rotten Tomatoes ratings. Her oh, movies. Okay. Uh, this is the highest rating that she's she's got. One of her movies gets ten percent. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we all have probably, days like that. She was she was in Mulholland yeah. Drive. So there you go. There's a David Lynch connection, and she was in the TV yeah. series Mr. Robot for five episodes as well. Yeah, she was in Elementary, the the Sherlock Holmes one with the guy that was in uh, Mansfield Park. Why did we talk about him on the weekend? Because he was the partner of Angelina Jolie. She was mar- Actually, she was married so, to Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah, it's one of those things that the, the more you look, the more connections you find. Oh, look, I'm sure this is a small, a small industry. Yeah, in, in that sense. Mm. Um, I, I did feel she looked a lot like Bridget Fonda. She had that definite Bridget, Bridget Fonda look. The Bridget Fonda bangs. Yeah, yeah. I was criticised for it on the movie night, but I, I still maintain she looks a bit like Bridget Fonda. So. <laughs> so Bridget Fonda was in the movie we watched at the beginning of this year, isn't she? Yeah, The Simple Plan. That's right. The Simple Plan, yeah. right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Bridget Fonda's actually got a really interesting story in terms of her acting career. She basically gave way her acting career not long after this year. Her grandfather being Henry Fonda, father uh, Peter Fonda and Jane Fonda, obviously. It says she had a serious car crash and then she got married to Danny Elfman and just focused on family. Yeah, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. 
So that's quite a diversion into Bridget Fonda, uh, given that she's not <laughs> yeah. in this movie and just sla- no, slightly... No. Like- a simple plan. I think the simple plan is kind of haunting us a little bit, isn't it? It's like our first movie, and I think we've talked about it a little bit in every single episode. Mm. So that's a pre- yeah. It's a pretty good yeah. movie. And, not a, it is a good movie. Um, yeah. Billy Bob Thornton, talking about him, let's yeah. go into Pushing Tim. Pushing Tin is a comedy drama film that delves into the high-stress world of air traffic controllers, focusing on the intense rivalry and camaraderie between two controllers, the confident and cocky Nick Falzone, played by John Cusack, and the enigmatic and equally talented Russell Bell, portrayed by Billy Bob Thornton. Directed by Mike Newell, the movie captures the frenetic pace and pressure cooker environment of New York's Terminal Radar Approach Control Facility, where split-second decisions can mean the difference between life and death. Amidst the backdrop of their high-stakes profession, Falzone and Bill engage in a tumultuous battle of egos that spills over into their personal lives, leading to comedic escapades and dramatic confrontations. Pushing Tin explores themes of masculinity, competition, and the search for respect and redemption, all while offering an insider's look at the seldom-seen, adrenaline-fueled world of air traffic control. Craig, what did you think of Pushing Tin? I've actually thought of another link, Jason. What's that? You, you mean the, you mean uh, the twin tin link isn't sufficient? No, Jason, we're not eight. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I do read. No, actually, I, I do still do read the Guinness um, Book of Records. So maybe yeah, I, okay, I am eight at heart. Do you want me to buy you the latest copy because it's it just came out recently? Really, <laughs> the twenty twenty four edition. No, um, I actually am going to put forward the point that I think Twin Falls, Idaho is the slowest movie that we've watched and that Pushing Tin is probably the most frenetic movie oh, that okay. we've watched so Interesting. far. There you go. That's that's my theory and I'm sticking to okay. it. <laughs> it's certainly very fast paced. I think John Cusack does a fantastic job as Nick in this movie. And Billy Bomb Thornton, I actually really like him as an actor now. This is what the third time we've seen him now. So he's a busy man in this year, but uh, I went down, again, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with Kate Blanchett. And right, uh, yes. so she's in this movie as Connie as well. She's his and obviously wife, John Angelina. Wife, yeah. And Angelina Jolie, who is Mary in this movie. Kate Blanchett, I did not realise just how hard that woman works. She is in so many movies. She's in five movies in 1999. And she's an amazing character actor as well. She really inhabits yeah. the character in yes. this movie, doesn't yes. she? To top it off, her biggest, probably one of her best-known movies, which is Elizabeth. Mm. Like, that was a very big movie for her. That was probably um, her biggest starring role, like lead role, whereas she's only a supporting actress in this, in this movie. Mm. But she did five other movies in this year, and she's gone on to do probably three or four different productions every single year since. She just doesn't stop. Yeah. When you look at her uh, her cast credit, you know, in uh, IMDb, it's just this long mm. list of. Mm. Yeah, she's quite remarkable. So, what? How did you find this movie, Jason? When we drew the bingo ball last week, and I mentioned that Pushing Tin was the B movie that was paired with Twin Falls, Idaho, there was a few expressions of surprise that Pushing Tin was on the B list and not the A list. Mm. But And I said that yeah. I really didn't like this movie at the time. There was something about it that no. just rubbed me the wrong way. And after re-watching it, I can say I haven't really changed my opinion on that. It's not a movie that I enjoyed watching. I'm not sure whether okay. part of that was Billy Bob and Angelina Jolie were a couple in real life and then they were a couple in, in yeah. the movie and it just felt to yes. a certain extent like they were playing themselves and, and they weren't coming across yeah. as very likeable people. 
They didn't play likable characters in this no, movie. No, no. Um, funnily enough, they were more of a couple after this movie than they, than they were than during they were the movie. Okay. During the movie. Rotten Tomatoes agrees with you, Jason. It only gave this 48% and 42%. So the critics were pretty hard on this mm. movie. I think universally, and I have to get this out, this would have been a fantastic movie had it stopped directly after the scene where Billy Bob and John Cusack did the thing with the aeroplane. Right, right. They, if it had, they stand if it underneath the landing there, 747 and, yeah, yeah. and it sort of blows them up into the air. In the air with, with extremely with extremely bad ragdoll CGI. <laughs> it looks totally fake. That, that could be what happens. You know, I don't know. I've never stood under a 747, <laughs> but uh, I, I would be very surprised if you didn't walk away from it being totally deaf because, uh, you, boy, they're, they're loud. You just land on the ground and laugh about it and yeah. it leads to a transformation <laughs> and then you're best mates with the, with the other I think if it, if it had end, if it had stopped there or even just had a little bit where he goes back to his wife or whatever, I think it would have been fine. But then it insisted on this ridiculously hokey, you know, he's like in the air, biggest, busiest air zone in the world. They're all supposed to be flat out keeping planes safe and all this. Makes a massive point of this all through the movie. And then he spends, what, nearly 10 minutes just talking to his wife on the aeroplane mm. instead of, you know, dealing with her. And all of the other, uh, and all of the other air traffic controllers are all sitting around going, oh. Oh, isn't that lovely? He's getting back with his wife. Yeah. Like in the meantime, all these planes are about to crash into each other. He goes off the deep um, end a bit. Yeah, 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 it goes off the deep. It it just sort of spoiled the movie for me. I think. I wonder why it, they uh, did it. I think it was. I reckon that was the studio. Mm. The studio said, "Oh, you need to have a happy ending." Yeah. You know? Yeah, so Rod- Roger Ebert, who I'm rapidly becoming to love, agrees with me, by the way. So uh, he says, the movie is worth seeing for the good stuff. I'm recommending it because of the performances and the details in the Air Traffic Control Center. Yeah. But he had quite a lot of criticism of the plot and particularly the ending. He thought the ending was pretty mm. ordinary. I did like those scenes in the air traffic control. Um, they were the, the best yes. part of the movie. And it, there's a lot of movies that have this kind of relationship between characters where they're all outcasts, they're all a bit geeky, they're really, really good at what they do. What they do is very mm. specialised and they have this relationship, they socialise together, they have all these in-jokes. There's a lot of movies that have uh, an ensemble cast of characters that have that relationship. Yeah. I can think yes. of like Aliens 2 and The Fugitive and there's all these movies where... Yeah. There's a team of people that have that relationship and they did that really well. I, I like that part of the movie. It reminded me a lot of Apollo 13. That, that, that as well, um, the command blokey, center. Yeah. The, the blokey uh, atmosphere of how the astronauts interact with each other. They all have Camaros and uh, Corvettes. That's and, right, that's uh, right. Mustangs and all that kind of stuff. And Reminded me a lot of that. And there is the token female character, but she happens to be a bodybuilder. So, yes, yes. So she might and as well be uh, and, and another one of the boys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was a weird, that was actually a bit of a weird scene. But uh, <laughs> she, she really got into the part. She was dancing a little hard out on the stage there while that's right, yes. John Cusack is, a, is admitting to his mate that he's uh, slept with Billy Bob's wife. That was an interesting segment of the movie. Getting on to the old factoids, uh, Billy Bob and John Cusack attended air traffic control school in Toronto to learn how to be air traffic controllers. They weren't able to memorise the massive amounts of air traffic controller code and all of the stuff that their characters speak in the movie because they speak very rapidly, obviously, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of it. And so basically what they did was their lines were printed up and taped to the radar screens for them to be able to uh, read out. Mm. And uh, Cusack likened it to doing a Marlon Brando because Marlon Brando famously always forgot his lines, so someone had to remind him. Angelina Jolie, I did think her hair was a little bit odd in this movie, and it turns out it was. 
Angelina Jolie had just shaved her head for the dying scenes in Gia, which is a movie from 1998. Mm, never Hopefully saw that one. Up in our podcast. Yeah. So she was wearing a wig in the entire movie, which was kind of obvious when you think about it because mm. it didn't really look like her. I have to say our female side of our audience does actually appreciate this according to the feedback I get. Oh, really? But, you know. okay. So this movie opened at number four at the box office. It grossed wow. $8.4 million, but it did not make back its production budget of $33 million. So it was a pretty expensive movie in the context mm. of mm. 1999. Um, it is based on a real world place, very loosely. There is a um, there is a building in New York called the Tracon radar, radar Facility, or there was at the time. I don't know quite how they do it now. Isn't it based on a newspaper article or something like that? Um, I didn't see anything about that in the research that I did. Yeah, but New yeah. York Tracon Radar Facility is a place, and I can imagine... God, these days, New York would be even busier. When the movie opened, it reminded me a bit of the Top Gun opening. You know, it's just all these scenes of passenger planes in this case, but landing and taking Mm. off and flying around New York. And you see the Twin Towers in the skyline in quite a few places. And it's just crazy. Like 911 was not too long Mm, after this movie, really. No, no. So it was interesting because the scene where he's bashing on the door to get into the pilot's cockpit. Yeah. Very shortly after this, that world changed forever. Like, he, he would not have just been restrained. He would have been locked up. Mm. And, you know, in this day and age, he would be locked up and probably would have lost his job. Yeah. So I found the source. Yeah, this movie is based on a 1996 New York Times magazine article, okay. which is interesting that they would take an article and then adapt it into what is supposed to be a, co- okay. a comedy. Did you find very much comedy in this movie? No, not really. It's pretty serious. It's pretty serious. It's, and, um, and yet it was... It's, ver- it's very intense. It was written by the writer's of the TV show Cheers, which was a, oh, a okay. comedy TV show. Yeah, and then yeah, it, yeah, very familiar with that. And then yeah. it was directed by the director of Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is a comedy movie. And you put yeah, you put those yeah. two things together and you get this drama, which isn't very funny at all. I'd, I'm not sure if they no. ever really were trying to be funny, but I didn't get any laughs out of it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't find it funny at all. I mean, I didn't mind the movie. I thought it was well done. Mm, um, yeah. If it hadn't been for the ending, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. I, th- I think it really is a rivalry of two alpha males. You've got yeah. you've got an alpha male, John Kuzak, who's the head of the pack of all these air traffic controllers. Mm. Another alpha male, Billy Bob, he wanders in and then they basically just fight with each other to decide who, yeah. who's going to be the winner. That's just not interesting to me. I don't find those characters uh, interesting. They, no, they just come no. across as annoying, you know. All these yeah. petty rivalries they have, like who can shoot yes. the, the largest number of basketball. Um, Boots and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Americans are more obsessed with these ideas than we are here in Australia. I think in Australia we're a bit more chill about all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. We don't tend to uh, get into these rivalries with our mates as quite as much. Mm. I think it's more of an American concept, that one. And maybe it's a bit of a New York thing as well, the fast-paced life of New York. It could be, yeah. Um, all of that kind of stuff, I guess. If you'd taken the same setting, the same uh, background about air traffic control, but you'd made a drama about, you know, something else where the air traffic controllers had to band together to to save a plane or something like that, then that would have been a good movie. But but making it about the personalities of these two alpha males, it it just went in the wrong direction for me. It just wasn't fun to watch. Particularly as that's probably the exact opposite of what air traffic controllers are actually like. I would imagine Mm. they're quite Mm. sober. I don't reckon a guy like John Cusack would survive in that kind of job in the modern day and age because he'd be seen as a risk 
and you know your risk management people your occupational health and safety people would be like no you're too dangerous both of you the amount of alcohol that they consumed also i can't imagine walking into work drunk from the night before not a thing in that kind of job i would imagine you'd be pretty strictly monitored it's a very it's a very much a top gun style movie but with air traffic controls instead they wear the sunglasses um, and they they go drinking yeah all that stuff yeah Yeah. they were like a cheap man's top gun weren't they really i thought it was also very mean-spirited they there was one air traffic controller who had anxiety and he had to retire for a while and there's a scene Mm. where he's trying to come back into work and everyone's just placing bets on on when he's gonna hit a moment where he can't proceed or something I think that's very 1990s attitude to work and mental health. And again, doesn't fly as well in 2024. The attitudes towards women shown in the film, again, very, very 1990s, not so much 2024. All of those things. Again, it's a 1999 movie and... I must admit, I was amazed at how young Angelita Jolie looked in the movie. She was only 23, apparently. What did you think of the karaoke scene? Well, apparently he was a singer in his early life, Billy Bob Thornton. So he had, <laughs> was in a band and he was a singer and he worked as a singer before he became an actor. I don't know. I didn't think that was too bad. The whole Italian restaurant trope was a little bit worn, I thought. But, mm-hmm. you know, hey, it's ninety, man. That's the way it was. Honestly, um, of the two, I would have been more likely to have watched Pushing Tin back in the day. Yeah, than, definitely. Um, our friend Ten Falls. Idaho, much, much more likely. I had heard of Pushing Tin and I don't think I've ever watched it before. I don't recall watching it. It would be a very different movie today, just basically because of the, you know, the focus on safety and all of that kind of stuff. I did spot one of the air traffic controllers was Matt Ross and he's Gavin Belson from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is the TV series uh, directed yes. by Mike Judge from uh, Office yep. Space the other week. So his Gavin Belson is a, a great character on Silicon Valley. So it was interesting to see him pop up as one of the air traffic controllers. He's also the director of a movie yeah. called Captain Fantastic. So he's a case of an actor who's gone into directing and that's a great movie to watch. I mean, Jake T. Webber. He's well known as well. He's in lots who, of Who was Jake things. T. Weber? So Jake T. Weber was the friend of um, the Zone, Falzoni. The Zone. Uh, the Zone. Barry Plotkin. So in the movie, he's called Barry. Um, he's the one with the moustache. Right. Yes. Um, so, bit of a seventies look to him. Yeah. So, he, um, so Kurt Fuller. So just going back to sorry. Top Gun, he was. You know, it's like Tom Cruise and mm, what's the guy? Very much moustache guy. Yeah. And um, Kurt Fuller is another character actor who's in lots of stuff. A lot of these guys are character actors. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what you need uh, for this this mixed bag of yeah. air traffic controllers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I've discovered another link between Pushing Tin and Twin Falls, Idaho, because interesting little factoid, Craig, John Cusack mm-hmm. has often been cited as my evil twin, my doppelganger. I've had that. <laughs> I've had a lot of people okay. throughout my life saying, right. you know, there's a bit of a similarity there between you and John yeah, Cusack. Actually, so, now that I look at the two of you, you've got the same hairstyle. So, well, so, ma- maybe that's all it is, but there you go. My yeah. doppelganger, my twin, maybe, Twin Falls Idaho connection. I won't be rude enough to say which one of you is the more <laughs> successful. <laughs> I do think John Cusack is probably going to appear again this year. So mm, he might come up. Uh, yes, 
Of course, his best movie is undoubtedly Hot Tub Time Machine, which oh, is really? an absolute classic. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm a big fan um, of High Fidelity, is, yeah. I think. High Fidelity would have to be one of the, oh, high fidelity. One of the good clues. Well, he's also in Gross Point Blank. Mm. I'm trying to pick movies that aren't going to come up. Oh, is that a beef? Is that one? Oh, gosh. Okay, sorry. What? Well, it doesn't say that. It's, it's uh, <laughs> I had to beat that 1998 one. movie. So there we go. Um, yeah, look at the release date. Hot Tub Time Machine for me. That's probably one I've actually seen him in. Because he's actually listed as the star of Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> well, he was in a lot of 80s uh, high school movies. I don't know quite how we got onto Hot Tub Time Machine, but there Far you go. Out. Yes. Uh, Kate yes, Blanchett. Exactly. Can I just come back to her? She's amazing. Australian actress, I know, I know. But my goodness. She inhabits the character in this movie so well that you could watch it mm. and not realise it's her. E- even though she's not sort of disguised or anything. I mean, I mean, it's very recognisably Kate Blanchett. But because she's so deeply in the role of who she's playing, that like there's yeah, not too many actors that can do actor, that yeah oh no she's very very talented and that is uh clearly why she is so busy she just never stops working she's like in everything that you can imagine um so she's in all sorts of stuff she's a uh, I, I didn't realize just quite how busy she was as an actress she's just everywhere she's on broadway as well in between all the, all the tv series and movies that she does now so yeah she's quite remarkable indeed Little factoid that I noticed in the research that I did. There's a scene in the supermarket, Jason, with Angelina Jolie and John Cusack, where she's in tears, you know, because like Billy Bob mm. has this habit of disappearing. So by the way, he is actually half Indian yeah. and half, when I say Indian, I mean Native American. Sorry. He is half Choctaw and he's half Italian. And that that is actually his ancestry. So he's half Irish. Uh, Russell Bell is half Irish, but whereas Billy Bob Thornton is Irish, Italian and Choctaw. Mm. Um, but anyway, coming back to um, Angelina Jolie and the supermarket scene, apparently it was a bit shocking for American audiences to see her with three bottles of vodka at the supermarket. Right. And it's certainly not something that you would see in Australia. Certainly in New York State, you wouldn't have been able to trundle around the uh, supermarket with alcohol in the way that it was done. So her her and her three... I mean, there's alcohol all through the movie. I was actually kind of surprised, to be honest. I was kind of expecting there to be um, some drug use or something in this movie because of the, the lifestyle that they mm. lived. But maybe that was uh, that was too much for the 1999 sensibility. Yeah. So I reckon there would be in this day and age. Well, maybe it wasn't funny enough considering this is a comedy, a comedy with no <laughs> yeah. laughter. Wait, it doesn't get listed as yeah it doesn't get listed as a comedy mm. but i guess it's sort of like a wry humor this sort of over alpha male thing yeah. maybe that's what it was going for i don't know so i think we can wrap that one up that was pushing tin the b movie to last week's a movie mm. twin falls idaho so what we can do now is we can cross live to this week's movie night to for this for the spinning of the bingo ball and find out what we'll be talking about on next week's show so let's go live now to you future jason are we doing it? okay here we are live at the movie night and the balls are spinning oh don't do that <laughs> and we're looking for a low number i think and what have we got it's number 33 another twin number last week was 44 so the twins have struck again and what is number 33? It's the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> so there you go. Thomas Ripley lived a solitary life until a wealthy man offered him an extraordinary opportunity. Did you ever conceive of going to Italy? I'd pay you to persuade my son to come home. Dickie Greenleaf? 
It's Tom. Tom Ripley. We were at Princeton together. How do you do? You're so white. Did you ever see a guy so white, March? You know, you should come and have lunch with us. Now, he's in a world he always dreamed of. No, I like him. Marge, you like everybody. Marge, you like everybody. If you're not home by 7 o'clock, Tom and I are running off together. With people he always admired. Can't sail, can't swim. Did you ever know such low class? Oh, yes, poor Tom. Living the life. Why is it that when men play, they always play at killing each other? He always wanted. You uh, stay at Dickie's house, you take his food, and his father picks up the tab. <laughs> and now that he has it... You can hardly expect this to go on forever, Tom. You've had a great run, though. What? He'll do anything to keep it. I've never been happier. I feel like I've been handed a new life. I'm Meredith, by the way. Dickie. Dickie Greenleaf. Hello, Marge. <gasps> Where's Dickie? The guy has disappeared off the face of the earth. He hasn't called. He's hardly written. You don't just dump people. Something's going on. Do you have something you'd like to say? I think I'm saying it. I bumped into Dickie last week. Dickie? It's a secret between us. I know, Lucia. I know. Whenever Dickie does something, I feel guilty. I know about you. Well, you get the reward. I always thought it would be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. I don't believe a single word you've said. You're shivering, Marge. Can I hold you? Well, whatever you do, however terrible, however hurtful, nobody thinks that they're a bad person. And we are pairing the talented Mr. Ripley with Hideous Kinky. Hideous. Kinky. You are from London? Yes. And your age? 25. And children? Yes, two. And your husband? He lives in London. So you are apart. How long are we going to stay here? As long as it takes, darling. How long have you been in Morocco? About a year. But don't you think it's time you went home? You mean to a one-room flat in South London? Or home in the evening with the two of them, rigid from childminders and television? But surely better than here. This is my mum. Hello. Bilal al-Hamal. I don't need another adventure, Mum. I have to go to school. I have to learn things. Something wrong? No, everything is fine. Mum, where's B? I've lost my daughter. Mommy! Children are a gift. That doesn't give you the right to put them in danger. I insist I'll do as I please! Have you ever done differently? When the truth is found Rush hour. Mum's married to our dad, you just don't remember. Are you pleased to see me? Where did you spring from? <laughs> B, when you grow up, would you like to be a shepherd? I'd like to be normal. And there you go. The are the two movies that we'll be watching next week. So any final parting words before we go, Craig? 
Uh, it'd be interesting to see who turns up to the movie night after last week. So yeah. <laughs> we had some people who hadn't been for a while, and I do wonder how they're going to react. <laughs> I think we did have our first walkout last week, didn't that's, we? That's so, right. Dina just yeah. had, had enough after one and a half hours of yeah. slew, twin, yeah. whatever it was. I must admit, at that point in the movie, I, I was sympathetic to her point of view, but in the end, I did enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, so. yeah, me anyway, too. Anyway, we'll see me what these, the next two are like. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if Phil Collins will pop up. Hey, Craig? Oh, <laughs> Yes, yeah. I'm sure you will. Thank you, Jason. Okay, then. So, as usual, we'll leave the final word to David and Margaret, and we'll see you all next week. So, goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Collins, you mongrel. Oh, Jesus. And now to Twin Falls, Idaho, which takes place in an unnamed city. This extraordinary first feature by the 27-year-old Polish brothers will inevitably remind you of early David Lynch or Cohen brothers. I suppose it's really about alienation and dependence, and it's as unusual as it is striking. The offbeat material was written jointly by the twins. In its small way, I think this is an exception. Yeah, okay, it is. And there is this fear of what one does without the other, what one does with the other. I mean, the fact is that sex is introduced at the beginning of the film and never explored further. So I felt it hit a plateau and never, ever moved off it. I became less interested in this film the longer it went. I'm giving it three stars. Well, I found it more interesting than that, so I'm giving it four.